My guest today endured an unthinkable loss. Today she's here to share how she found the courage to move forward. I'm so glad that you could join us for Bridges today where we bring you hope for the journey. I'm Monica Schmelter and my guest today endured an unthinkable loss. And so today we're going to hear her story and talk about finding courage to move forward when you've endured an unthinkable loss. And Patty, I'm so glad to have you on Bridges again. You were here a few years ago. It was. It's been a while since I've been here, but yes. It has. And I know that you have a tremendous outreach, uh, Firefly Outreach, but it was really birthed in your life Mm -hmm. after an unthinkable loss. Um, And so maybe we could start today for those who haven't heard it, just to hear about your family and, and what happened. Well, um, I was just living life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an entrepreneur on my own company, working hard, taking my children to church, and just you have doing, two sons. Right? Well, I have three three sons, three one sons. in heaven and two on earth. Yes, and just living life and, and trying to be the best parent I could be, and yes. and uh, just trying to be a good parent, you of know, course. a good mother, and. Um, you know, I knew that my son was struggling. My youngest son, Connor, mm-hmm. uh, he had been struggling for many years, really. Uh, he failed the second grade by one point, and mm. that essentially started the down spiral. Is that right? Yes. And so he never really believed him in himself. He always, for you know, just would say, I would tell him, I'd say, Connor, you know, honey, you can do anything. You set your mind to, you're smart, you're handsome. And I would just... You know, edify him, speak sure. over him, and and but there's always that self doubt, that struggling, mm-hmm. that I was never good enough, or I would never because he was bullied when he was young, and you know he just was never, there a reason that he was bullied? I mean, because when I look well, at pictures of your Connor, yes. he's handsome. He is handsome, uh, yes. and always this, yes. every picture a beautiful smile on his face. Yes, he was my baby, and he just was the love of my life. I just adored him. Um, He was just, he just struggled. I I can't, you know, just the words of, you know, kids sometimes can be very cruel. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he just, over the years, um, like I said, just could not get over just the insecurities or feelings of inadequacy that he would never measure up. Uh, never good enough, and so, and I was taking him to counseling, and and through his academic years, I mean, he spiraled. It was just up and down, up and down. He'd do great, and if he failed a test, then he would go back down into not believing, you know, thinking he yeah. could do it. So, and it was just a constant battle of of inner struggles that he had, yes. and that voice that always lied to him. Of course, we know what that is. Yes. You know, as Christians, you know, the enemy's voice that really, because when he was young, he would always say to me, you know, when we go to church and come back from church, he'd say, Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to be a missionary and travel all over the world. And he had a heart and we prayed together. He loved the Lord. You know, my children love church. They love Jesus, you know, and he um, there was so much on the inside of him. He was very charismatic. He loved everyone. And uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, I started taking him to counseling. He'd been bullied some more in, in, in his uh, middle school. And I was taking him to counseling. Uh, 
you know, and he he actually, um, you know, talked to the counselor. Um, you know, so and he the, did everything that like a mom, every, everything, everything that a parent yes, could do. Yes, and I think that's important for people to understand that sometimes these unthinkable losses. I mean. We've done all we can as We've parents. Done, and I felt like I had, you know, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, of course, the counselor one day, uh, he just said, Miss Harrington, Connor's great. He's going to be fine. You don't have, you know, I, he's going to be fine. And then two weeks later, I walk in my house and I found him. Uh, he'd hung himself. And, and it just, it rocked my world. Yeah. It really, yeah. um, well, just to the very core of who I was, you know, and the questions of, Lord, how did I miss it? You exactly. Know? Well, but a professional counselor also missed right. it. Right. Yes. Right? Yes. Because he or she said, Connor's going to be just fine. And yes. so I would think as a parent, like, you really rejoiced that day. Like, we got over this finish line, yes. right? We 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 battled, but right. we crossed yes. the finish line. Yes. And then two weeks later, you walk into your house yeah. and you find your Connor... He had hung himself. He had hung himself, yes. And, and it, that, that day just really shattered my world. You know, life as I knew it did not exist any longer, you know. And he, um, there was a bus, I had a Jesus bus that, that my children had given me for Christmas from uh, Israel. It was made out of olive wood. And I found it in his room, um, and I know that he prayed beforehand, but but the Lord gave me this scripture uh, for Firefly, uh, the ministry I have now due to the loss of Connor and God, you know, began to speak to me about uh, Firefly. But he said, the uh, Psalm thirty four eighteen that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those that get to a point in their own minds that they, they don't feel like there's any hope, mm-hmm. there's no way out. This mm-hmm. thing, this situation will never change. It'll never get better. I'm always going to have to deal with this. I never will be able to like my my. You know, husband was a dentist and my, his grandfather was a dentist. They were professionals. I was professional, you know, and I, the questions of, well, I'll never be able to measure up. I'll never be able to accomplish things. And, and I've heard that many, many times through the years of the pressures that young people feel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially from people, parents that are, are successful. Uh, but you know, that day just shattered everything. And so that's when I ended up coming to Tennessee. Um, my oldest, my other son, Garrett, he ended up, he had to go to, uh, Ole Miss. He was going to go in pre-dental and then, uh, of course later changed his major. And then my other son lived in Tennessee. So, uh, the day after the funeral, he said, mom, pack your stuff. You're coming with me to Tennessee. And, and I just, I was so emotionally broken. I didn't know, I don't even remember getting in the car driving to Tennessee, mm-hmm. you know. But God is is so amazing. God is so wonderful. And uh, I wanted to rent a little cabin somewhere, just get alone with God and just, you know, go through my grieving process and just say, God, how did I miss it? Where did I go wrong? I love my child unconditionally. Of I did everything did. I possibly could to be the very best mother I could be. You know, and just all this, you know, when people go through grief there's and go through 
tragedy, I don't care what kind of tragedy is, a parent should never lose a child. No, that's exactly the opposite of the natural order of things. And no one thinks that, right? Right. That's exactly right. None of us think that we're going to grow up, get married and have children and have the unthinkable loss of our child dying, like Connor to suicide, but sometimes it's cancer, right? It's these things and parents have never imagined that they're going to walk in these shoes. And what you're saying is like your life just stopped. You it didn't did. feel like you had courage. I, d- I did not. No. I, as a matter of fact, I found a little cabin in West Tennessee on the Piney River, a little dirt road. And I, said, <laughs> and I went and saw the man that owned it, met with him. And I said, I can't think past six months, but I'd like to rent this cabin for six months. And I just sit, I spent six months just crying out to God and just grieving. I mean, there were just times of, I just complete. I said, Lord, this is just too much to bear. Yeah. It's too much for me. And, and through that process, the Lord is, you know, even I go back to that Psalm 34, 18, you know, where I myself, that was my scripture because yes. he does save those who are crushed in spirit. He and he does deliver us from even the very snare of the enemy that would try to bring destruction in mm-hmm. our lives. And, and, um, you know, he, I I can't even describe a lot of the times with the Lord that were just so beautiful. And he just loved on me. He he would speak to me. It it was just so beautiful. And one day as I was spending time with the Lord, uh, God just dropped firefly in Mm -hmm. my spirit. I heard firefly just dropped in my spirit and I was like, firefly. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to say? He, he said, I want you to build this ministry on three foundational stones, purity, humility, and honor. Mm-hmm. And within the three foundational stones, I stand as Jesus, the firefly, the light in the darkness, Amen. and near my hands and feet to reach the younger generation. And of course, you know, I knew that was the Lord. And there was a lot of other things that the Lord spoke to me. And, um, you know, some things that happened uh, that yeah. transformed my life, that let me know that Connor was okay. Yes. But with that, I'm, I am, um, I'm a visionary. I'm, yeah. a, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I've always worked very hard. So, you know, I was always like, God would just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I didn't question. I just right. said, okay. Right. And so I went through the foundational process of, you know, starting Firefly. And I didn't know exactly what all it would look like. And I started speaking in youth groups and I would go and do events and things like that and share. Uh, But he told me to share my story of the empty chair Mm -hmm. and give young people a real picture of the aftermath of suicide. That what you're thinking, this is the reality of it, that I'm left with an empty chair for the rest of my life. Because that's the one thing that I think that no one that commits suicide understands the aftermath, right? That's exactly You're right. in a place yes. of being emotionally distraught, whether it's yes. a break with reality mm-hmm. or it's not. Correct. You don't yeah. realize what you leave behind. That's exactly right. You know, and when mm-hmm. I hear you, you know, processing through this unthinkable loss, you just let yourself grieve. You let God love yes. on you. Yes. So any parent that's been where you've been, Grieving is okay as a believer. We have to. Absolutely. Well, one thing I never will forget, forget I, I received a call from a lady. She had lost her, her daughter. She said, aren't you angry with God? And I said, no. I said, remember John 10.10. 10. That's it. 
The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life Mm -hmm. more abundantly. So God, it wasn't God's will that my son would take his life. Oh, no. But Mm -hmm. God did not want that. But it was the lies of the enemy that he kept believing. That's right. And so it's the battle. He's we wrestle wrestle not against flesh and blood, but and, and that's the part that people really don't comprehend yeah. or understand. But it helped her to understand right. and get clarity that God did not take. It wasn't His. That it he, was it, not His will. It, it was not His plan. Uh, things happen because yes. the enemy. Right. But that you understood, you can still love God and still grieve Connor. Yes. So we've got to take yes. a break. When we come back today on Bridges, Patty is going to continue sharing her story with us and also talk about the talk that she gives all over called The Empty Chair. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Join the Bridges community on Facebook. Visit Facebook and search for Bridges with Monica. We would love to connect with you. It takes training. It takes discipline. And so when you're fighting that good fight of the faith, you take your story, whatever it is, and you saturate it in faith, and you fight for it. Visit monicaschmelter.com to schedule Monica to speak at your next event. If you're just joining us today on Bridges, we are talking about finding courage after an unthinkable loss. And my guest is Patty Harrington, and she's sharing her story of her unthinkable loss and how God helped her through it and be able to move forward. So, Patty, as I understood, you took a while to grieve. Yes. And I think it's important for believers in Christ because I've heard people say, well, you know, they're, they're, th- th- this family member's in a better place, so I just celebrate their life and go on. And, and sometimes we have to deal with our broken hearts oh, yes. and our crushed yes. spirits. And you're mm-hmm. saying, as you let God minister to you, He births Firefly Outreach. Yes. And now you go all over the place and yes. you, you talk to students yes. about the empty chair. Yes. Let's talk about that. Wow. Uh, I received a, a phone call from a friend of mine after I've been up here for a period of time. And uh, he was on a board um, with a, uh, the governor, then governor, Phil Bryant's wife, First Lady Deborah Bryant. And uh, he said, I really feel like you need to connect with Patty Harrington, our ministry, and what God has given her to do to reach the younger generation. I really feel like you guys need to meet with her. And so they set up a meeting for me to go to the governor's mansion, and so I did. And and little did I know that when I went in to have lunch with them, that Deb, First Lady Deborah Bryant had actually lost her father to suicide mm. and her nephew to suicide. Oh. 
And I didn't even know that. And so I just began to share my heart and my story, you know, and my passion to make a difference in young people's lives and essentially, you know, to help save lives Mm -hmm. uh, and help give uh, young people a message of hope and healing that, you know, this too shall pass and you can overcome anything, every obstacle you can do, you can overcome it. And so uh, with that, they, they were just so touched and so they gave me a letter of endorsement, which helped me go into the schools, uh, which was wonderful. And so, but I guess the thing that really took me by surprise that I had no clue was what truly was happening with our young people. And this is where I've always been a an intercessor or a prayer person. I mean, ever since I can remember, you know, I've always loved the Lord, you know, and God, I've had some wonderful times with the Lord. But after this happened, specifically, you know, God spoke to me one day as I was worshiping him and praying. And I was sitting on my sofa and I had been uh, speaking in schools. I'd I'd spoken in two schools that day and I heard just stories that no, no human being should and no child should ever have to live through. Just heartbreaking stories uh, of youth. And you know that. Because oh, I, you, you're in the schools and you hear it. I and, hear it. And I think sometimes, yes. you know, as we get older and we're living adult lives, yes. we're not really aware of the crises, of the abuse, of all of that that students are going through, as well as being bullied. Right. What What are some of the things that students say to you oh. when they hear the empty chair talk? Well, the main thing that happens, because I I do several things when I'm there, and I get them to close their eyes, and every person in there uh, in the audience, I make sure that every eye is closed because to where, you know, privacy. And I ask them different questions, you know, um, have they, are they depressed, suffering, you know, are you dealing with anxiety or bullying or you know, are you being, are you depressed? And then there's that one last question I always have. Well, I asked, do you know of someone that's contemplating suicide? And then the last thing I ask, are you yourself contemplating suicide? Mm-hmm. And it never fails, it's, you know, never fails. There is not a school, and I've spoken to thousands and thousands of young people, there's not a school, both either private, public, that I've not that every single time you go, you're going to have a suicidal child in there. And you know, that's, that's frightening for me to even think about. It's the truth, though. It's yeah, the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's and I truth. think we have mm-hmm. to know this, like yes. what yeah. people are facing, and that as you go in and you give that talk, that you're helping those students to understand. Yes. Their situation at that moment, it seems permanent, right? Because I, I, I remember right. everything as a teenager seemed like this is my whole world, right? Because yes. I didn't yes. I didn't have enough life experience to know that that was going to pass, you know, whatever that was. Right. Well, you know, one, one story that comes to mind, I, I never will forget, I was in the school district. I did all the schools in that district. Um, and this one, I always have young people line up. I mean, all they, they want to hug me. They want to just, I mean, they'll share with you because I've poured my heart out to them and it just opens wide communication for them to share with me. And so they just, I mean, they'll come up to just tears gushing down their eyes and, you know, they'll walk up and these are my scars. I'm a cutter. Um, you know, you'll hear, um, 
and 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 these stories these are realities and it's hard to hear these stories you know and this is where my call to prayer was birthed uh through these stories because one one young man he was the star quarterback he came to me finally and um and he was uh talking with me and he started opening his heart he said miss harrington everyone thinks that i'm the star quarterback that i've got the perfect life you know i dress nice my life i live in a nice house i have a, you know my family's not you know, everybody thinks that i just hung the moon and my life is perfect he said but every day i think about taking my life every day he said miss mm-hmm. harrington he said when my parents got a divorce when I was in the seventh grade, he said my mom was going through a really rough time, and she started drinking, and she had a friend come over one night, a guy friend, and they sat around. I was in my bedroom, and they sat around and drank a bunch of alcohol. She passed out, and he came into my bedroom and raped me. Now, this is a true story. Mm-hmm. These are stories, and these are hard to hear. Yes, they are. I, I can tell you, I could sit here for days on end and tell you such traumatic stories. Mm-hmm. Another story, just, you know, my brothers, Miss Harrington, I've been contemplating suicide. I'm so lo- I'm so broken. I'm so hurting. You know, my, my brother, my older brother brought his friend over, and he he came in there and raped me. I mean, this. I mean, you hear molestation. You hear stories of stepfathers that have molested children. You hear just kids. We don't have food in our house. My parents died, or my dad died. I'm living with my grandmother. I mean, just it's just gut wrenching. And then that's what I was going back to um, with the stories when I would just sit on my sofa when I came home and I'm just like, Lord, how do I make a difference here? How how do I, I mean, I just felt so inadequate Mm -hmm. because you just, at one point you just come home and you're like, this is just too much, you know? Because it is. It is. I mean, it's like to be hearing that all of the time and to not be able to do something tangibly to help. So what did God speak to you? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, he said, what you're doing, you're saving lives and it's very effective. Mm -hmm. He said, but the only true way you're going to bring change in the younger generation is through prayer. Mm. And of course, that's all he had to say to me. That's right. But here's the thing. Um, We have, you know, recently, I think it was the end of 2021 or 2022, uh, you know, census, um, it was reported that 18.4 million young people in in 18.4 million one in every four live without a father, a biological father, a stepfather, or an adoptive father. Mm-hmm. This is our reality of where we are in this nation. You know, if you look around and you see what we're dealing with are wounded souls. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with a lot of broken young people. And, and you know, my favorite scripture, I think is I can't remember, Malachi 4, that I could be wrong, is turning the hearts of the fathers yes, back to the children, Malachi. the children, children's mm-hmm. hearts back to the fathers. Mm-hmm. And I pray that on a regular basis because we need fathers. Yeah. We need fathers to go home. We need restoration. One of my greatest prayers is God restore the family, Amen. restore the home, mm-hmm. give hope. You know, to those that are lost and broken, we've got and uh, you know, it's hard when when, you know, children, because 
here's the thing. Parents get a divorce. You know, I can't live with you anymore. This is not working out. You know, you've whatever the situation or the circumstance that happened, you know, but the parent can walk away. The parent can divorce. You know, I can say I don't have to live with you anymore and and deal with all this stuff. But the child does. The child's caught right in the middle of it. Absolutely. And so often what I've seen, you'll have parents that will say and do things in front of a child that a child should never hear and a child should never experience. I've had, you just wouldn't believe the things that I've heard. But you're really birthing a prayer movement. I am. Because I think of everybody that's watching, like the one thing we can all do, like I'm not going to probably get an invite to schools, but I can pray. I can pray for young people to be whole. I can pray for parents to be real parents, like to step up and do the right thing, right? And parent your children and not drink in front of your kids and not be ridiculous. Right? I mean, that's what what, what parents do. We protect our children. We love them. Well, I think mm. a lot of times parents think, well, you know, children, they're resilient and they'll they'll work through it. But, you know, as, as adults... We go through issues and circumstances and situations, <laughs> and we want to lock our door and go crawl in a closet or something. But we expect the child to be resilient but, and just move but, on from and it. And they don't have and they the don't experience have that. that we do. Like, because they've not learned to po- process through. No, no. And know. even as adults. Right. Right. There are things that are traumatic for me that I don't want to face, that I don't want to deal with. So how right. in the world would an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old yes. handle adult problems? Yes, yes. And this is reminding me of a phone call that I received uh, when I was living in Tennessee before I went back south to Mississippi. Uh, I had a, a, a pastor, youth pastor, uh, reached out to me. He said, could you please go to Vanderbilt Hospital? Uh, with, there's uh, a young girl up there uh, that's suicidal. She's six years old. <laughs> And I said, what? And so you were Deborah, mm-hmm. my friend Deborah, that helped me with the mm-hmm. Firefly. Uh, she and I went to Vanderbilt and met with the parents. And and so I sat down with the parents, spoke to them, you know, and then I sat down with the little girl and just began to communicate and ask her questions. I said, honey, I said, how did you even think about hurting yourself? Where, where did this come from? She said, I had a dream, and in my dream I killed myself. And that's that. I was just my. I just my whole, like the to the very core of yeah. this is a six-year-old child. Mm-hmm. How can this be? And these were parents that were taking their child to church, yeah. and yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. Well, the conversation with uh, another person there that had communicated with some someone there. And I, I want to really be careful what I say, yeah, but yeah. Um, that they had 17 children on suicidal watch at Vanderbilt at that time, and the youngest was four. And these these are and here's here's what I found, and this this is what my, a call to prayer, a call. A, I feel like that I I'm an advocate. I I, I have a voice mm-hmm. for the young people. Yeah. Because here's the thing that. Typically, that these are uh, these core issues that we deal with in everyday life, the church really does not address. Right. If you remember years ago when uh, you know divorce started happening, you know homosexuality, all these different things, uh, 
a lot of times the church will stick their hand head in the sand simply because they don't know how to deal right. with it. It's not I'm not but trying we, to be derogatory right. or whatever, but it's just the fact mm-hmm. that this these are our realities. Yeah. But what, in fact, should be the reality uh, of these things is that we should be able to go to the church, you know, and and I think there's more awareness now than years ago, of course. And, you know, we, I think pretty much everyone can look around and see the state of our country and where we are. Not in a good place. We need prayer. We are out of time, but I want to thank you for coming. And uh, I think for this, it's a call to prayer. Yes, it so is. So thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. What a blessing. Thanks for watching Bridges. Life can be hard and days can be long. So if you're looking for hope for the journey, monicashmelter.com is a great place to get started. On monicashmelter.com, you'll find Monica's teachings on demand. And if you're looking to really grow your faith, you'll find online extras are available with every teaching. So don't wait another day. Get started now at monicashmelter.com and you will find hope for the journey. Don't miss another episode of Bridges. Subscribe to our YouTube channel today where you can find all of Monica's latest teachings. Just visit youtube.com, search Monica Schmelter and click subscribe. Once subscribed, click the bell icon to get notified when a new episode is available. Thanks for watching Bridges. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.